So once again, very pleased to be talking to Nick Hamilton, the owner of Barnsdale Gardens. And Nick, just tell us, spring is on the way and it's a fantastic time to visit, isn't it? Oh, God, what an inspirational time. It really is. Yes, um, it, it's um, I always find that uh, I think as, as professionals and amateurs the same, very, very difficult to control yourself in the spring when everything starts bursting forth. It, it brings such such promise uh, for that time of year, not just, you know, people talk about the spring as, as a sign of things to come. But at the end of the day, the, the spring is utterly fantastic in its own right. We've got to talk about the Japanese garden there, haven't we? Because that's what makes something special to see at springtime, the cherry blossom. Yes, we've got a really lovely cherry blossom in the in the Japanese garden uh, from your um, Prunus incisor Kojo Namai, which um, is very beautiful. I actually like it when it starts dropping its petals as well, because it, it looks like there's a little sprinkling of, of, of a very sort of pinky snow underneath it, which which looks lovely. Um, and, and a beautiful cherry we've got there, um, Ichio, um, which is a, a shading the, the bridge, uh, which is which is a... a Japanese like to keep their bridges in the shade because they they view their garden from the bridge generally and and you know quite rightly why would you want to view the garden with the sun in your eyes so it sort of gives you that little bit of shade but a beautiful thing but we do I mean to be fair we have an awful lot of flowering cherries around the gardens so I was uh, chatting to uh, Robert Vernon who came and visited the gardens uh, just a, a few years ago now uh, who's uh, at bluebell arboretum and nursery uh, and they're specialists in in you know unusual and rare uh, trees and shrubs and uh, and he was telling me that our pruna shogetsu um, is the best specimen he's ever seen and he's been all around the world looking at them uh, and and that was to me that you know that that really made my my chest fill out and i felt so proud <laughs> but it's a i mean it's a fantastic tree anyway but it's a, that's a particularly brilliant specimen for those who haven't been to barnsdale garden it's a series of different gardens isn't it if uh, they might remember it from seeing it on gardener's world with your father jeff hamilton and this is a great time to visit, isn't it? To see those wonderful signs of spring. Yeah, definitely. It, it's. Um, I mean, the thing with the Gardener's World was that um, over the over the seventeen years uh, that my dad was on, but obviously fourteen years from the Barnsdale that we're at now, uh, you you always saw these little areas, but you never saw it complete. So it was, you know, lots of lots of bits of a jigsaw that never quite fitted together. So uh, thirty eight individual. Um, gardens and features that we we have and you know the the thing even with that I get asked quite a lot in the winter and also in the spring is you know where are the best bits to see maybe you know people say we haven't got much time but where are the best bits to see and I said well you know like a garden should be there's enough all over you know so a garden should have enough to to give you the interest that you desire at every time of year and obviously you know been through the winter where there's you know potentially the least unless you've got a winter focused garden it, there's the least amount of interest that you, you still have enough but there's the least amount you're going to get and then the spring it starts to build up obviously to the crescendo of the summer um but but in the spring you know, there, there is so much i mean apart from all of those beautiful spring bulbs we've got you know anemone blanders you know the china doxa uh even uh, wood anemone anemone nemorosa um the daffodils all over the place dwarf and and not uh as well as the you know pulmonarias and, and shrubs like the forsythias come into flower the the ornamental quinch anomalies you know the, the garden really just suddenly burst to life 
Uh, and as I said earlier, it, it is so inspirational. It really is. And and the trouble is, you you do have to work quite hard to control yourself. Um, it, it's difficult. I do the same as everybody else. You know, you're out and about, and you see this lovely stuff, and you just want to buy everything that you see. But you know that you have to control yourself because even I've only got so many spaces, and I've got more than most. You know, but I've only got so many spaces I need to fill. Now, you mentioned there some of the woodland plants there, and you've got something, a, a rock garden using coir, haven't you? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, we have. My my, uh, my dad um, in uh, 1995 uh, discovered, uh, you know, the information about the amount of peat that was um, taken out of, out of um, uh, you know the peat bogs and yeah and also the amount of limestone that was destroyed from uh from the these limestone pavements and once once both have gone they've gone and and so he wanted to find a way of of saving um certainly the limestone and, and his answer was hypertufa but a lot of the hypertufa is made using peat so he was looking for an alternative for that so he, he, he developed his coir rocks um, which is a, a a mix that he used used to make hypertufa, and it's about um, digging a, a small hole in the ground, the shape of the rock that you want, and filling it with his hypertufa mix, which was uh, two parts of of uh, coir, uh, one part of of sharp sand, one part of of uh, fresh cement, um, and he also occasionally used a yellow cement dye, but that's quite expensive to buy just to take that grayness off. Uh, you're better off using natural yogurt over it when it's done and, and get the algae sort of, um, you know, attaching itself to the to the rocks and it makes it look then very natural. Uh, but by lining that hole with thick polythene, it, the sort of the folds in that gave these the look of cracks and fissures through that rock and they look so effective. And in actual fact, you know, we have people going around that little alpine uh, feature not really knowing until they read the information that they're fake rocks and then you hear them saying, oh, right, so that's them, which, you know, is, is really great because it tells you all you need to know about that. But we've got, you know, lovely iris reticulatas in there, you know, the classic sort of albrechias, um, allison, um, saxifragas, so there's a nice thuya in there as well, um, just sort of giving you interest throughout the year and, and there's a... Um, Narcissus tetatet in there as well. So real lovely spring interest um, uh, to, to give you to, to start the year off. And you mentioned the environmental impact of coir there, but is, is it a, a substance you find better to work with than perhaps peat? Does it store water better, perhaps? Uh, we we don't. Um, I mean, we when we look to go peat-free, now bear in mind that, that Abanzo, we've been peat-free now for uh nearly 34 years so what we first started with when my dad started his trials and and uh, on the nursery I've, I've only ever been peat free i've never used peat on the nursery at all uh we started using coir uh, but but gradually now you know the the certainly the professional mixes and even the amateur mixes now have, have very much become sort of more bark based um some do have a coir element to them uh and and the thing with the the main difference i think with with coir is the fact that um, it's a natural substance that that is still breaking down, as it, as the same with the bark. Whereas peat is an inert material that that's that's you know hundreds of thousands or millions of years old, so uh, it's not using up nitrogen. Whereas the 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 bark and the coir mixes are still using up a fraction of nitrogen. I do find that that some of the more modern mixes tend to you know can look dry on the surface when in actual fact they're they're wet beneath so it's important now that we're we're, we're all you know having to become p 
peat free and moving in that direction not to just treat these new peat free composts as you would with peat uh, it, it's a it's a trial and error thing it's learning as we go along so um, you know the index finger is a great thing uh, and sticking that in a pot <laughs> tells you an awful lot about how much water you need to add if any at all now you have the rose garden at barnsdale and there's all year interest in that i think people will be interested how do, how do you get all year interest into a rose garden i think again it's about having enough interest obviously you know from you know maybe second week of june uh, once the roses really um start to flower properly uh, then the interest carries us right the way through the summer into the autumn and then for for the rest of the autumn the winter and the spring it is about as i said earlier about just having enough interest to satisfy that desire so we've had the snowdrops in the um in the in the winter uh, we've also had um, evergreen things like fatinia we've also got um ophiopogon you know what people call the black grass uh, and other sort of evergreen things through the winter as well as some stems as well so dogwood uh we've, we've got in there and then when we come to the spring then we get the bulbs coming through so lots of, of, of bulbs so some dwarf narcissi some daffodils in there um again pulmonarias uh crocus uh we use we we, we do struggle a little bit with crocus because the uh the mice the field mice can smell them several miles away i think <laughs> so uh we've, we've started when we plant them we've started using a a sort of a, a finer rabbit wire um, over the top and then and then burying that about sort of uh, five centimetres, two inches deep. Uh, and then it's it's big enough for the crocus to push through, the foliage to push through, but too small for the mice to get through. So that tends to protect them. They, they, they do like a crocus. Um, but also dwarf iris um, and, and quite a lot of interest you can have. And it's about dotting it about the garden. Uh, but of course, a lot of that will have then died back a lot of the, the certainly the bowls they're great for giving you that burst in the spring because they die back before the the main summer perennials start to come in and, and cover that ground it's a great tip about the the wire over the crocus there i don't think people would have thought of that before i mean i certainly hadn't so that's that's good yeah. it might work for squirrels as well might not yeah potentially i mean the, the the problem the difference between mice and squirrels is that, that squirrels are blooming intelligent <laughs> you know you can <laughs> almost watch their brain figuring out what what's happening and and how they need to get around it so very often when you see them on a on a bird feeder you see that you know they, they can't if it's a squirrel proof or almost squirrel proof they're trying to desperately work out how to to get around that 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 proofing that that's put in there and and, and the problem that's put in front of them so it, it should do and like i say by by burying it under the ground there it's not something okay eventually it will it will rot away but the point is that it will that will take several years but of course you don't see it so it, it's there you know it's there of course the mice don't think they've just put a little rectangle of, of rabbit wire down there i'm going to dig further out and, and and tunnel in of course they don't know that so it's a it's a really great way and we found that to be absolutely 100 percent effective now, it would be remiss, remiss of me not to, to mention you have an Easter event coming up on the 31st of March. So tell us a bit about that. It's, an, it's, it's a free admission for families, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a, a, a thing for the kids. Um, you know, we, we, we dot round, we, we print out a, a sheet and we give them things to find. Um, Charlotte, who looks after the events and, and lots of other things that, that, that we do at Barnes Other Groups and, and other things as well, but particularly the events, she's, um, she's made out of papier-mâché some Easter eggs that we put about the gardens with, uh, with numbers on them and things. And, and it's, uh, they get 
children get a sheet and they have to go around and and find these and and then at the end they they get a um a little egg there to to take away um with them uh it's great for keeping the kids um amused and occupied but also you know it's good fun to discover um we we also find that you know invariably what you get is some rather large looking people who think that they're children who think that they should be doing the same thing um also known as parents um and i think you never grow out of a good easter egg hunt i have to say very true very true just remind us you're in oakham just tell us whereabouts you are rutland uh and yeah, the details of the website yeah we're a couple of miles out of out of oakham um just about a mile from the north shore of rutland water so it, we're just off the oakham to stamford road about a mile off that um and uh, and and uh, we're open every day um and from uh you know from the spring we're we're, we're nine till five every day and uh the website is uh, barnsdalegardens.co.uk okay nick hamilton thank you very much for your time and good luck with the easter egg hunt absolute pleasure